Uh, So today's reading is from Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. You can find that on page 1783 of the Church Bibles. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thanks, Sarah, and good morning, everyone. My name's Cam Maxwell. I'm a campus pastor here at Tonsley, and uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, Humility. Uh, Humility can be a pretty complicated thing sometimes uh, because in a a Christian subculture like a church, uh, we can sometimes uh, sort of perform uh, for others to show how humble we are. Um, You might have heard this one. What's the slowest thing on four legs? Slowest thing on four legs. The slowest thing on four legs is two Christians trying to walk through a door at the same time. You first. No, 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 please. You, no, no. It can take all day, can't it? That ridiculous kind of standoff you have uh, at a morning tea or a party or something like that. No one dares takes the last piece of cake on the plate. It's like a really lame Mexican standoff. Uh, everyone sort of makes a show of saying, oh, no, 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 please. No, you have it. You have it. No, no, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Um, we all want it, uh, but no one's bold enough to just grab the cake unless no one's watching. Um, Humility can actually become, they're the silly ways, but humility can become a a cultural performance. Uh, We might have a view in mind of what a humble person should do, what they should be like, uh, and then we just act that way. Uh, And most importantly, we act that way making sure we're seen uh, to be acting that way. I mean, what a shame it would be uh, if we did something super humble and no one noticed it. In a more serious way, uh, there are those who have a really tender conscience on this issue and really struggle, I think, with this concept of humility. Uh, There are people who really try their hardest to just not have their good qualities noticed at all. Uh, They especially don't want their humility noticed, and if they're just tying themselves in knots to be humble and they just die of embarrassment when someone notices or or compliments them. Uh, It can get complicated, this topic of humility, can't it? Do you think of yourself as a humble person? You can't answer that, can you? Uh, it's, it's a trick question. As soon as you say, yes, I'm humble, clearly you're not, uh, it, it's complicated. Humility, um, it also gets tied up in, in our minds sometimes with words that are often a bit negative, uh, things like weakness, um, someone might be naive or just, just passive in life. That is, if you're thinking of a humble person, a typical humble person, are you thinking of actually some sucker that's going to be taken advantage of, uh, others exploit their good nature, um, and you sort of think, oh, that's sort of admirable, but you wonder, actually, is this actually a character flaw they have? Are they just too weak to stand up for themselves? After all, if that's your view of humility, how do you know the difference between a humble person and someone who just sort of sucks at life a bit? How do you tell the difference? 
If that's humility, how will we know? If that person, is, are they a doormat? Or are they really servant-hearted? Uh, we can really overcomplicate this, I think. So, how clear are we on what a humble life really involves? And how much do we aspire uh, to be great at being humble? I realise the irony in that one, of course. But how much do we aspire to being great in our humility? Um, that's what I'm hoping to explore uh, this morning with us. And, and our aim for today is to try and get some clarity. What do we mean when we talk about humility? Uh, so far, I've given examples, I think, of what humility isn't, uh, but how we often sort of wrongly think or assume uh, what humility might be. So I'm hoping with some clarity, my hope is we can kind of really set our hearts on adopting uh, true humility and growing in it, wanting to grow in it more and more as we follow Jesus and being really great at being humble. Uh, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians uh, for a few weeks now. Um, and before we dive into that topic of humility, um, let me remind us what we saw two weeks ago in the middle of chapter one, if you have it open in front of you there. Um, we saw two weeks ago, Paul is very ambitious, incredibly ambitious, very driven. Uh, he doesn't just uh, breeze through life. The key is, though, he's not ambitious for himself. Uh, he's ambitious for the gospel to go forward. Uh, that's driving everything in Paul's life, his aspirations, uh, even through suffering, his hope. Uh, they're all tied to this wonderful ambition that the gospel uh, will go forward. And we saw last week, uh, back in verse 27 of chapter 1, uh, Paul is urging Christ's people to conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Uh, for those new to this, the gospel, uh, it's the good news. Uh, the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection, uh, in which we get set free from sin uh, from the fear of God's judgment. Uh, in the gospel, we find unspeakable joy and the great privilege it is uh, as we turn to Jesus in repentance and belief and find the many blessings of being in relationship with our Creator. The gospel is, is an incredible thing. And so to urge us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, these are lives that are of the greatest value and worth, aren't they? So then, in the backgrounds, whatever else Paul has to say about being humble here in chapter 2, uh, humility must actually be tied to great ambition. He's just been very ambitious. He's been very clear about his ambition. So humility and ambition don't work against each other, actually. Humility is not a lack of ambition, but, but great gospel ambition. And humility is not about demonstrating how worthless we are either. Uh, humility is about a life that is of great worth, actually, of incredible dignity. Let's explore that further. As Paul starts chapter 2, uh, he's continuing with his big thought. Uh, what does conduct, what does our life look like if it's worthy of the gospel? He starts chapter 2 here with uh, the, privilege, the privileges we have uh, as we follow Jesus. Uh, he starts by asking a bunch of if questions, and he's assuming every time the answer is, yeah, of course. Uh, so, here he is. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. If we have all of these things, says Paul, which we do in Christ, well, what do we do then? Verse 2, well, we let those things define our life together. Do you have unity in Christ? Yes, excellent, good. Well, be united in your mind, be of one mind, have a common mind that you know, Jesus is Lord. Uh, do you experience the tenderness and the kindness of God? Yes, of course you do. Well, excellent. Then let our life together be one of kindness and of tenderness towards one another. 
What Paul's doing here in these verses is he's talking about church unity, isn't he? Uh, Sticking together, being of one mind, of one spirit. A life that's worthy of the gospel is a life united with brothers and sisters in a local church like this one. Uh, Last week, I took us on a bit of a historical detour uh, to illustrate something. Uh, Last week, I illustrated unity by talking about a famous Greek military formation. Um, The phalanx, I think I've got a picture of it here for us, uh, to jot your memory from last week. Um, The phalanx, that that formation was used to conquer the world. Uh, Soldiers were very disciplined, standing firm, being united, uh, each playing their part. Um, if you want to find out how that's particularly relevant to the book of Philippians and some of the, uh, yeah, the backgrounds there, you can check out our sermon on that last week. All our sermons are online. As a church, we're actually already united in the gospel. Uh, we are united. That's a reality. The gospel does unite us. We don't need to force unity. Uh, we definitely don't need to force uh, what we might call uniformity. It's a disaster if we try and sort of force everyone to act and look and be a certain way, to be the same as each other. What a disaster. Because we are united, and yet we're so different from each other, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. No matter where you're from, uh, what you look like, how odd you may be or feel, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, and this is your church home, we are united. And that is a great reality. So we're united... And yet we must stay united, we must express that unity. Our unity is a reality, but we must express and grow in our unity. And last week was kind of where I left it. We didn't dig into, well, how do you do that? I mean, how does a phalanx stay together? How do they stay united like that? My assumption is if someone runs away from that military formation, they probably get beaten to a pulp. So that's, uh, I guess we could try that. Uh, That's one option to help us stay united. I want to suggest a far better foundation for unity. Uh, it's the attitude we need to have, and it's consistent with a life that's worthy of the gospel. It's humility. I think we could probably um, sort of think of humility as the relational glue. Uh, humility is the relational glue that keeps us united. Humanly speaking, it's what's going to help us stick together. It's humility. And so verses 3 and 4 here, Paul starts laying out the shape uh, that humble relationships need to have. So verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, vain conceit is is quite literally here the phrase empty glory. It's a great phrase, empty glory. Uh, Think of vain conceit, empty glory. Think of uh, presenting something beautiful on the outside. Uh, Imagine a house that's got a beautiful front yard, uh, incredibly painted uh, front wall, but you walk inside and the reality behind it all is just a mess. It's just a facade of beauty covering up, just a disaster out the back. Or think about uh, social media accounts that project a life of beauty and and health and success. But the reality of life is, well, the social media posts are just a combination of selective photos and good lighting and great filters uh, covering up a very ordinary uh, life. Or think again about a church context. Uh, Perhaps making a big show of of how together our own Christian life is. Uh, But behind it all, behind that performance, uh, we're struggling under the weight of sin. Um, our prayer life is in tatters, and, and maybe the gospel truth is becoming cold and distant in our hearts. I should say, uh, pastors are not immune from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, pastors like myself, we need to keep guarding our hearts against uh, wanting a ministry that becomes about me, uh, making our own name big or uh, popular. Uh, pastors need to be very careful not to seek to attract a following or just performing, just acting out a spiritual life. 
Uh, this is something for all of us to be on guard about because we need to keep working on relationships where we're authentic uh, with each other. What do we do, though, with, I guess, uh, the great problem you might be thinking about at this point, the problem of mixed motivations? After all, can any of us really say that we don't do anything in our church life out of some sort of vain conceit? Trivial example, uh, for those of you who did your hair nicely this morning, uh, before coming to church, uh, what were your motivations for doing that? Uh, Was it simply to not distract others? Uh, Was it purely vain conceit? Is there some other reason I I obviously can't understand myself? Now, I personally think uh, all hair is basically vainglory. Like, what a a waste of time and money having hair. Waste of money, waste of time, waste of shampoo. To be fair, though, in the middle of winter, I start to see some of the logic behind keeping your hair. That's fine. It's a trivial example, but you see how, when you think about it, you can sort of twist yourself in knots, uh, sort of navel-gazing, trying to work out your, your motivations and, oh, I can't do it if it's not a pure motivation. I, I don't think that's the point here. A while ago, I was chatting to someone, they're not involved uh, in this church, but I was chatting to them about uh, their involvement in ministries uh, in their church. This person said, oh, I'm, not in, I'm not intentionally, I'm sorry, I'm intentionally not involved in any ministries in my church at the moment. Uh, the last few times I got involved in serving in ministry teams, um, I made it all about me. Uh, my, my motivation was wrong. Um, so I was involved in welcoming, and I made it all about me, the best, best welcome I could be. And when I was doing kids' ministry, I made it all about me. Now, sitting there thinking, well, at one level, that's commendable, isn't it? Someone who's working hard not to be motivated by selfish ambition or vacancy. They really wanted to be authentic. It's commendable at one level. But what I said to them was, well, you know the answer is not to do nothing. Uh, don't wait until you have pure motivations to do something. The answer is to serve somewhere and to work on your motivations, uh, to be prayerful, to have someone keeping you accountable. I didn't say this, I should have. I said, why don't you have a go at serving in creche? Good luck making creche all about you. <laughs> so what do we do about mixed motivations? Well, thankfully, I think verse 3 continues and kind of answers that for us. If all we had was the first half of verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, I'm not sure we could do much at all as a church. Uh, I think we'd just sort of be standing around, sort of looking at each other, waiting for someone with 100% pure motivations to rock up. Jesus, he'll come back eventually. If we just stand around long enough, he'll arrive. But verse 3 continues, rather, there's a better way, rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. The humble person isn't navel-gazing, endlessly thinking, oh, am I humble enough? I'm not sure. The humble person isn't really thinking of themselves at all. They're thinking about others and what they need. Uh, C.S. Lewis, a great Christian thinker, he puts it this way. It's a long quote. I'll I'll read it out for us. It should be on the screen as well. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he'll be what most people call humble nowadays. He'll not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably you'll think about him, or probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. Here's the key part. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Uh, Humility, as Paul explains it here in Philippians, it's pretty simple. It's about putting other people first and valuing them more than ourselves, their interests before our own. 
Uh, Humility involves giving up our rights sometimes, our preferences, uh, our time, our energy for the sake of others. In humility, says Paul, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, that might sound okay at first, uh, valuing others above yourself. I mean, when you're surrounded by lovely people uh, who are really kind to us, who care for us, who are really valuable people we look up to, it's actually quite easy sometimes to value other people above yourself, isn't it? That can be easy. What's the hard part? Well, sometimes, I'm told, sometimes some people can be annoying and rude and just outright sinful. I think the test of humility is when others get on our nerves. Uh, when they're rude to us, all those things. When maybe we're, we're faithfully serving, uh, working hard, and someone else just takes it for granted. That kind of moment can really expose our false motives, can't it? Uh, feeling grumpy that someone doesn't acknowledge me or, or thank me or realise how much effort I really put in. When you get to that point, you realise humility is not just a personality trait. It's a decision. Uh, it's hard, actually. Uh, it's sacrificial. And at that point, uh, humility genuinely has nothing in it for us, does it? It's that kind of humility that will keep us united as a church, uh, seeking the good of the other person, often at cost to ourselves. Uh, the other thing I reckon this uh, kind of humility does is it helps us avoid really unhealthy comparisons with each other. Uh, we seem to have a very uh, just human inbuilt drive to compare ourselves to others, don't we? Uh, sometimes we compare ourselves up, uh, we look up to someone we really admire and respect, and that can be helpful. Uh, sometimes we can look up and we compare ourselves and we can then think, oh, I want to model myself after that person. They're godly in these ways, I want to be more like that, I want to have more of that in my life as well. But usually, uh, comparing ourselves up just often breeds uh, envy, jealousy. And in the worst case, it can destroy our sense of self-worth. Other times we compare ourselves down, uh, that is, uh, we look at those we, we don't respect, we don't admire, and I, don't, I couldn't think of any way that that's helpful. It's, it just breeds conceit and pride and judgmentalism. Uh, real humility, though, works against both kinds of uh, comparing, doesn't it? Comparing up and comparing down. In both cases, we're not assessing the other person first. Uh, we're actually just seeking their good regardless of our assessment of them. It's not because you know, they deserve it, because they're better than us, uh, and not if you know, they're worse than us, so they should be thankful for having my help. Uh, not at all. Uh, humility at, at the heart level just avoids that sort of comparison. Uh, instead, it's just being disciplined uh, that uh, we need to celebrate being united in Christ with someone very different to us. Humility, so... It, Quick summary, humility so far, it's not about a show, uh, it's not about being a doormat, it's not just a personality trait, it's not about being bad at life. Hopefully, starting to get a bit of clarity about what real humility looks like, and uh, here's a summary. Humility is a way to think of and serve others at our cost, putting others first, whoever they are. Uh, with that sort of definition, uh, the big question then is, well, how do we grow in our humility? After all, if humility is wrapped up with a life worthy of the gospel, as Paul is saying here, it's something we ought to be working on hard, right? In fact, uh, I should say this, if you think you don't need to grow in humility, well, clearly you're off to a pretty bad start already, aren't you? Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realise that one is proud, 
and a biggish step too. At least, nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Now, realising that might be a good start for some, but what Paul covers here in verses 5 to 8, it it's becomes both the pattern and the motivation of humility for us. The pattern and the motivation for our own humility. Verse 5 there, Paul gives us this wonderful goal, a very worthy thing to be working towards. Verse 5, I'll read uh, an extended section. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. These may well be uh, some of the most astounding verses in the Bible. Uh, such a clear description of the divine nature of Jesus. In very nature, God. Not just a good man. Christ Jesus is eternal, he is divine, he is in very nature, God. And yet, Jesus takes an extraordinary step in humility. By making himself nothing and becoming one of us, and a lowly servant at that. I'd love, actually, to spend a couple more hours this morning unpacking these verses for us. Uh, I mean, how is it Jesus is both fully God and fully man? And why does that matter so much for us? I figure that's probably not going to be helpful to anyone. We're going to freeze to death in that time, and our kids' leaders will probably, meanwhile, melt down out there. Um, if you're interested, though, and I do encourage you, if you missed this, uh, to think through what it, means to be Christ, what it means for Christ to be fully man and fully God, what the incarnation is, why it matters. Uh, earlier in the year, we, uh, we did a series in John's Gospel. Uh, the first two in that series are on our website, and we looked in depth in that topic, on that topic. Uh, those sermons are there on our website. And today, I, I sadly won't be covering much of the same ground again, but I do encourage you, if you want to find out more, to, to dig those up. Instead, what I want to do today is focus on Christ's extraordinary humility. Now, if you'd grown up in the ancient world, somewhere like Philippi, you'd know the Greek gods and their sort of Roman variations, they're not at all like Jesus. Uh, those gods are power hungry. Uh, there is no way they would be serving humans. Humans are there for their entertainment and to sort of serve their needs and pleasures. Pretty vile examples, actually, of Greek gods doing whatever they can to take advantage, to take power for themselves. Do you see here, in this precious insight, we get into the mind of Christ. We get to see the immortal, the eternal, the holy Son of God. He freely, he intentionally chooses a path so costly, and you know, I'll use the word inconvenient, but it's far more than that, isn't it? He puts, before his own interests the interests of the worst kind of people, the most rebellious sinners, the most proud and conceited people, Jesus puts first. He puts us first before himself. The one being in the whole universe who is actually worthy of all our praise and glory, he puts that aside to serve us. You reflect on the way that the eternal Lord of glory, he valued me above himself. It's astounding, isn't it? Like, I don't know how to describe that. It makes no sense. That's only the start of it. To highlight, to underline how humble Jesus is and how much he valued us. Verse 8, the, the mind-melting uh, sort of extremity of humility. Verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The immortal being who, by definition, never had to taste death, he chose that. He chose to do that in our place, and not just any old death. 
the worst, most humiliating, humiliating, shameful death known, death on a cross, putting on full display the horror it was to absorb God's wrath for our sin all on himself. If you're here today and uh, you don't think of yourself as a Christian, perhaps checking out Jesus uh, for the first time or for the first time in a long time, welcome. Great to have you with us. If you're kind of trying to work out why it is that Christians love Jesus and admire him so much, I think this is it. When we grasp Christ's humility and what he gave up for me, it changes everything in our lives. It humbles us knowing that Jesus died for me. And I think it spurs us on, doesn't it, to do the same for others? Jesus really is our motivation to show this same sort of uh, radical humility, even for those we find difficult, for those who have let us down. And Jesus is our model of humility. And our lives, our whole lives, are to take the, sort of, the same shape of our Saviour's uh, humble uh, life. Now, what does this look like in our church community? Um, this is first an attitude of the heart, isn't it? It's a desire to, to lift up and to serve others, even at our own expense. And I think we see this sort of humility seeping out in our, in our life uh, as a church in all sorts of wonderful ways. Um, most of you, if you sort of thought about it, you'd probably recall pretty easily, I hope, um, to someone who's, who's encouraged you, who's, who went out of their way to serve you, to put you first. Now, I'm sure we could uh, grow uh, in many ways in this as a church, but I think we're starting off uh, in our growth and humility in a really good place. Uh, there is uh, great examples of this. So I mentioned the crèche uh, ministry already. I think, like, the fact we have a crèche team, uh, they're looking after tiny children week in, week out, they're wiping noses, putting up with screaming children. They're doing that so the parents can sit here under God's word, uh, together in God's word. There is heating there, um, so there is a bit of an incentive, I suppose, but still, uh, there is no way people do crèche and serve there for any sort of glory or any sort of greatness. But when you think about it, that is actually glorious in God's way of seeing things, isn't it? Not to pick on the crash team, that's true in all kinds of areas of life. It is one of the clear examples I could think of. Uh, there is absolutely no glory in doing crash, uh, humanly speaking. But in God's eyes, it's a wonderful, wonderful service. Um, it seems that this um, attitude of uh, humility keeps seeping out. Uh, there is grace, there is kindness in our relationships, and I know there's great patience uh, and, and kindness shown all, all through our church life together. I wanted to raise perhaps one small area of church life um, that I thought would be worth us keeping an eye on, though. Um, I'm not worried about this, but I thought I'll just raise it as a good example of what can happen in the life of a church, uh, and I wonder whether we're perhaps slipping in that sort of direction. I'll tell you what it is. Um, but before I do, remember, our, our behaviour doesn't always represent our attitudes, does it? Uh, it doesn't always line up. Um, so as I'm talking about our behaviour, I've got no idea what the attitude is underneath. But I want to talk about the behaviour and see if the attitude uh, is, is worth thinking through more. First thing I want to say, uh, genuinely, it's totally fine to be late to church. Totally fine. Uh, we operate by grace. There is no judgement. Um, and there are all sorts of great reasons you might be running late. Um, it says nothing at all, actually, does it, about our spiritual state or our attitude or anything like that. In fact, uh, for myself, if I was ever to write an autobiography, it'd be a pretty boring read, but uh, I think a fair title would be, um, sorry, 10 minutes away, something like that. I I'm constantly running late. Uh, the only reason I'm not late to church most weeks is that um, it'd be more stressful for me uh, than it's worth to be late. I I'm, I'm driven by stress, not out of desire to serve uh, to get here on time. So please, uh, before... As I'm saying this, please, next time you're running late, don't worry. Um, I'm always encouraged by those who persevere. Uh, running late, getting here at all can be a wonderful thing. And for some, that can be a really hard work, so keep going. Um, 
But I did want to raise it is I think over the last couple of months, uh, it's probably become uh, more normal for the majority of us to arrive during the first or, or second song. Um, not today, though. I think it was much, much better today than it had been drifting along in that sort of direction uh, since we started, where most weeks, uh, a year and a bit ago, uh, people were here regularly, very early. I know it's winter, I know it's hard to get, get going, so maybe that's all it is. Our behaviour has nothing to do with our attitudes on this, on this point. Now, you might be wondering, though, what does this have to do with humility? It's just punctuality, right? Um, first, uh, let me say, don't be motivated to be on next time so others will approve of you. It's back to front, isn't it? Don't, don't do that. Don't be motivated to be here on time so others will think well of you. That's a performance. We're not interested in that. The, ra- the reason I say uh, this is a tiding with humility is, well, do you know when new people, uh, visitors, usually arrive at a church service? Uh, those people who are uh, precious to us, but nervously arriving, uh, anxiously wondering whether people are going to look after them, uh, welcome them. They might not have been to a church for a year, for decades, maybe never. And they're wondering, is this a place where I'll feel welcomed, uh, where I'll be able to worship God and get to know him better? The answer, new people come to church usually early, early. And for us as regulars to look after their interests, uh, my encouragement to all our regulars is to try and be here at 9.45 each week. Try and be here each week at 9.45 to look after our newcomers, to serve them, to put their interests before our own. There are other good reasons to be, uh, that time at, to be at church that time as well. And again, let me stress, if you're running late next week, don't worry. Uh, we refuse to be a church that's about performance. We're not interested in that. But I want just to raise it as an issue of the heart, perhaps, to reflect on. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. The other reason, though, I mean, I raised the, the, um, that is, that's a small thing, uh, being on church in time is a very small part of our life. But I thought that's not a bad warm-up uh, to where I'm heading with what comes next, actually. It's a small thing, but actually, this actually hits all of life, doesn't it? Seeking to have humility like Christ, it might actually turn our entire lives upside down. In the same way that Christ didn't grasp at greatness that he had by rights, his approach in giving up everything, he was made truly great. I want to put this before us, this, this challenge as we finish this morning, uh, this, uh, this sermon, to, to rethink our categories of greatness. Do you see in those final few verses from verse 9? Jesus is exalted because of his humility. The descent he made uh, ultimately wasn't into shame, but to incredible glory. He descended into glory. The greatness we see in Christ's humility, in becoming a servant, that's what truly counts as greatness in God's eyes. It's a life worthy of the gospel. I guess my question is, are we fixed on that? Is that our view of of greatness? Or are we fixed on greatness uh, that we see, the things that shine in the world around us? The things that other people would say make a great life, a great career, financial security, a standard of living that's uh, that's well above... um, great holidays, all those things, are we fixed on that definition of greatness? Or are we allowing Christ in his humility and his grace to challenge us on our view of greatness and what we're aspiring for? After all, what are we aspiring for with our lives? Um, There is a whole world that desperately needs to know this good news about our humble saviour. Are we fixing our life on that sort of goal? For some here, that, uh, that reality may mean letting go of some of the very good interests and ambitions you currently have and ha- having a whole change in the direction of your life. 
Uh, some here, I think, would be very well suited to being equipped and trained to be sent off into global mission. Uh, some here would be well suited to be sent out to, to rural and remote areas of Australia uh, to serve in a local church and to, to help the gospel go forward there. Uh, it might be a very different sort of retirement, perhaps, that you have in mind. Others here, I think, are well suited uh, to taking steps towards ministry in sort of a vocational ministry uh, role uh, somewhere here in Adelaide. That might not be the majority of us, uh, but the, I want to ask the question because in a world, in a city that needs many more workers in a very large harvest, if that's you, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from making a move to have more of your week, the best part of your week, put aside for serving others in the gospel? For all of us, um, the structure and the direction of our life, as you're thinking about these things, those things may not change. The structure and direction may not change a huge amount for us. But still the same question, isn't it? In the way we're using our time, our energy, our relationships, our money, the ambitions and hopes we have for in our life. Is there anything that's getting in the way for you? Uh, anything that's getting in the way of this kind of humble, a Christ-shaped greatness? As we consider these things, I do take great encouragement. Um, others in our world are just messing around, aren't they? Just messing around with things that don't really matter that much in the scheme of eternity. But we get to serve Jesus with our whole lives. We get to bow our knee. We get to confess that he is Lord now to the glory of God the Father. So whatever the details, uh, let's keep growing. Let's keep aspiring uh, for this sort of greatness in our lives. A greatness modelled on the humility of Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Our Lord Jesus, we, we bow our knee before you and we confess again that you are Lord. We seek to live lives that are worthy of this incredible gospel, our lives that are motivated by the incredible grace and humility that you have shown us, that you have saved us in. And so please help us. Uh, please convict uh, each one of us of areas of our life that are driven uh, by selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, please keep growing our attitudes, helping us to be humble, valuing others above ourselves. And in this way, please help us to be really ambitious uh, to live a life that brings you glory. Amen.